Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson, and Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computerworks will get things up and running for you. Madison Computerworks, computers that work for you. Welcome to another podcast at SlyceOffice.com, brought to you by our friends at the Operating Engineers, Local 139, and the Madison Teamsters, Local 695. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation joins us. Good morning, John. Good morning. So, Mike Pence, a former radio broadcaster, I'd like you to evaluate his performance rhetorically, responding to the question about the latest indictment coming to former President Trump. To be criminally charged. The president's words were reckless that day. I had no right to overturn uh, the election. Uh, but uh, uh, while his words were reckless, I, based on what I know, I'm not yet convinced that they were criminal. I do think uh, the Department of Justice uh, has, has lost the confidence of the American people. I mean, in, in one town hall after another across New Hampshire, I, I heard a deep concern for a perception about and the, the unequal treatment of the law. And I, I think one more indictment against the former president uh, uh, will only contribute uh, to, uh, to that sense among the American people. And uh, as I said, I'd, I'd rather that these issues and the judgment about his conduct on January 6th be, be left to the American people in the upcoming uh, primaries. So what do you think of that rhetorical performance there, John? Well, a little bit of a word salad. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you would expect from Mike Pence. I mean, he is a, a, a you noted, a professional communicator, <laughs> um, which, which means that he knows to spew words when asked a question without thinking. And, and there was a little bit of that going on. Uh, I, I know they were reckless, not sure they were illegal. But he's also not saying he's not sure they were legal, right? It, it, it's left unsaid. So in the, what he's really saying here is, you know, I mean, what Trump did might have been really bad and maybe maybe illegal, maybe felony, something like that. But um, I'm hearing from people who come to my event at, like, Goody Cole's Smokehouse in Brentwood, New Hampshire, um, that, you know, they're not really interested in prosecuting Trump. Uh, now, first and foremost, the number of people showing up for a Mike Pence town hall is roughly the equivalent of the line at the last T-shirt stand at a Trump rally. Um, there's Trump's not, Trump attracts crowds. DeSantis even gets a few people. Pence doesn't get many folks. But he's saying the people who come to see him, they're not really that interested in prosecuting Trump. Okay, cool. Um, so does every person who is facing 
uh, indictment and criminal prosecution get to say, well, I'd rather not go by the courts. I'd rather leave it to the American people. Um, and and that, is, that is what Pence is saying. He's essentially saying he doesn't uh, want the rule of law to apply to Donald Trump and presumably to other prominent Republicans. He'd, he'd like to see it sorted out in an election setting. That's um, a nice well, that's a, that is exactly what Republicans said during the first impeachment trial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's uh, it, ironically not what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying about um, Hunter Biden or Joe Biden. But uh, they, the thing to understand here is that the, with Pence, he's in this desperate place where um, he's got to be, um, you know, a Trump acolyte, even though it's 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 untenable for him. I mean, he literally has a storyline that is so strong uh, as part of the argument for prosecution of Trump and part of the argument uh, as regards to Trump's legal troubles that um, he seems absurd every time he opens his mouth. And these events that he had up in New Hampshire uh, last week were really a pretty powerful signal that... Uh, you know, I hate to say it, his campaign's over. I mean, oh, just, how can yeah. you say? I think the funniest thing is people thinking that somehow Tim Scott is going to be the savior of the Republican Party. That is hysterical. The New York Times had a piece <laughs> that had headline that sort of summed it up. It said, Tim Scott is waiting for his moment. And it was something like, um, if it ever comes. And the, the fact is, that at this point, um, when you look at the at the polls on the Republican side, Pence, by the way, is polling literally in Scott Walker numbers, you know, like half a point. Well, you wrote about Scott Walker the other day in the Capitol <laughs> Times, and I thought you would enjoy this. This is uh, Jackie Alamany from the Washington Post. Here's what she said this morning. On Morning Joe. The new education standards. Take a listen. Well, you should talk to them about it. That's not the right clip. There we go. Picked and now losing. I mean, even just looking at, at his body language during that statement, it was like bobblehead DeSantis was back. Um, but it does, I, I think Sam is absolutely right. It speaks to an, uh, an issue that people have long criticized DeSantis for, uh, especially some of the people on the Trump side of things who previously worked for DeSantis in Florida, which is he can't, he can't keep staff because he doesn't take advice from anyone. Um, he doesn't have any senior people around him to help him navigate this. And he is speaking to an increasingly small slice of the base, not even the electorate. Uh, and, and as you just noted, uh, you know, he, we're right out of the gate here and he uh, is blowing through money. He had in, you know, a, a, a fairly decent haul. He, he's blown all of it on, on staffing so far, is already laying people off. Um, it sort of feels like Rick Perry, I'll let 2016 um, had some, or Scott Walker as well. I guess a handful of them for that. The mere mention of his name brings up laughter. It it is a punchline, not a, not a uh, <laughs> not a venerated uh, place of. And we'll get birth. to Ron DeSantis uh, shortly. But uh, yeah. that said, so while all this is going on and. Pence is floundering around, speaking to eight yep. people at little town halls yep. up in uh, New Hampshire. 
yep. Donald Trump speaking to the media as well. He was he was in the state mm -hmm. of Iowa the other day on a talk radio show, and here's what he had to say. Is it something that concerns you of, of you know, of the people making sure that they don't go out of their right mind if something like that happens? Because I know what I'm thinking of could happen if that, for example, they do say Jack Smith says, OK, I'm going to put Donald Trump in jail. I think it's a very dangerous thing to mm -hmm. even talk about okay. uh, because we do have a tremendously passionate group of voters. And I mean, maybe, you know maybe 100, 150, I've never seen anything like it, mm -hmm. much more passion than they had in 2020 and much more passion than they had in 2016. I think uh, it would be very dangerous to be criminal. Uh, so, a little more mobster talk from the president. Uh, he, does he understand? You wouldn't, want to not, you wouldn't want to not elect me, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so Jack Smith appears rather in, uh, we'll use Scott Walker verbiage here, unintimidated by this. He's got a million and a half dollars worth of security, a whole uh, a whole row of really nice Suburbans, and he appears to be just uh, working through lunch, getting a little subway brought in. Well, this is the thing about Jack Smith. Um, this is a guy who's prosecuted, prosecuted really bad people around the world who do, in fact, threaten the judiciary and threaten, you know, prosecutors and law enforcement and stuff like that. Kosovo. I, I Kosovo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it got a little unstable now and again. Um, and I think that with Jack Smith, the, the term unintimidated actually does apply. Um, he seems to be very comfortable with the work in which he is engaged. And that's an interesting thing because unlike uh, Merrick Garland and, and frankly the Department of Justice in general, which gets so much criticism from Trump and those guys, uh, but in fact actually moved very slowly. Um, and uh, I think a little bit uh, kind of afraid of its shadow. Um, Smith doesn't appear to be such a figure. He appears to be uh, meticulous and aiming to uh, make things happen. And I've, I've been around the courts enough to see that when you have a prosecutor who's good at what he does or what she does, Judges respond to that. Even judges who you might think would be unfriendly, um, you know, say, oh, okay, I'm dealing with a professional here. And that's, that's an important thing to understand. I, I think what's happening with, uh, with Trump is that he's playing a, kind of a dual-track strategy. Uh, he is still obviously trying to intimidate the courts. He would like the courts to um, delay his trials and delay his you know, delay the prosecutions as much as possible. He doesn't want these to play out during the presidential campaign. He wants the threat to be there. Um, if they played out during the campaign, that's bad, especially during the primary process. That's, that's bad for him because it just causes people to say, wow, you know, this guy's got a lot of problems, even people who might be sympathetic to him. So he'd like to intimidate the courts. By the same token, he wants the problem to remain. And that's an important thing to understand. Because it was, it was a subtle part of what he said there. He said, you know, they're angrier now than in 2016 or in, in 2020. He's talking about his base. And I would not doubt that. Um, but in 2016 and to a lesser extent in 2020, Trump was trying to talk to an anger that was at least somewhat issue-based and 
that was uh, that it, that touched on people who weren't necessarily his core supporters. It's different now. Now he really wants to gin up that anger among his core supporters because it's critical that that roughly one-third of the Republican Party that really is enthusiastic about him uh, be as angry and as passionate as possible about, you know, Trump, about things happening to Trump, that they will show up for those Iowa caucuses in the winter and in, in New Hampshire and then in South Carolina, etc. Um, his desperation right now is to win that Republican nomination. He's not thinking about November. That, that comes next. But he's got to have the Republican Party on his side. And so you're going to see him, I think, ramp it up to an even higher level and make, you know, do everything he can to make uh, his base, you know, get out there, be sitting out there in tents outside the polling place, uh, you know, on primary day. Uh, but the the end result of this is that he's really, you know, he's doing two things. He's sucking up all the oxygen. The other, what the other candidates say doesn't much, you know, doesn't resonate very much. Two, um, you're really getting a feel because of the, the nature of the field on the Republican side that um, Trump's course is looking easier every day. DeSantis is collapsing as a candidate. The other candidates are, you know, non-entities as regards electoral uh, viability. Some of them are actually rather impressive. What about that guy from North Dakota who's giving away gift certificates? I like the mayor of Miami myself. Oh, yeah, you know. he's a Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's, everybody's running for the nomination, and they're all like, you know, like it's, it's sort of like you entered the demolition derby at the county fair, right? And, you know, you know that the guy up the road really has a pretty good car, right? And your car is kind of a dumpy little junker. But you think maybe... You know, everybody will aim at the guy with the, the stronger car and knock that car out so your little junker can prevail. You remember all um, the people that ran for president in the Democratic side in 1972? We had yeah. Sam Yorty, Sam Yorty, the mayor of L.A., Patsy T. Mink, congresswoman from Van, Hawaii. Vance Hartke. Vance Hartke. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> great field. Right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that's what some of these folks are. Now, well, it Trump is... is but, but important. That, this is the important thing. Like. If each of them gets, you know, 2%, uh -huh. and, and you know, maybe DeSantis holds on, although I think DeSantis is starting to look a lot like Scott Walker, but if DeSantis holds on and gets, you know, 12%, et cetera, blah, 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 they split it all around, that's fantastic for Trump, right? Because yeah, I don't think Trump get, wants you know, DeSantis out of the race at this point. No, he may have to start to shore him up. <laughs> um, or send some help his way. But you see, this is what DeSantis does, or what Trump doesn't want. It's a very important thing. He doesn't want a situation where he ends up on a debate stage with Chris Christie. That's what he doesn't want. Because, you know, Chris Christie is not running for president, he is running for prosecutor. And what Chris Christie desperately wants is a debate setting where he is able to kind of laser focus on Trump and Trump's troubles and take him apart. Right. And uh, Trump knows that Christie is the only one of these candidates who has the skills to, to cause him any trouble. And so Trump would like a crowd of people all, you know, buzzing in and raising their hand and saying, well, I'd like to add to that, which creates sort of a chaos on the debate stage. Um, and so if Trump does indeed agree to debates, which is not assured. He wants, you know, he wants a lot of other people there. He doesn't want to be just sitting looking at Chris Christie.
So a Washington Post report this morning says that Donald Trump isn't paying for his legal defense. That's all uh, getting shuffled in from campaign contributors. But I think one-fourth or so of the money that Trump is bringing in is just going to pay lawyers in legal defense. So That's an astounding figure. <laughs> it is an astounding figure because Trump's raised not as much money as Biden, but he's raised, what, $35 million, something like that? So yeah, I mean, over look, it's just the timeline you want to look at. But if you look at the longer term, I mean, you're really getting into you know tens and tens of millions. Ultimately, it'll be hundreds of millions if this continues, and it's a quarter of that. Um, you will be talking a about one of the largest amounts ever spent on legal defense for anybody, candidate or not, but also one of the most dramatic diversions of money from a, a campaign into a basically a personal endeavor. But reporter Heidi, Heidi Prisbilla said the other day something kind of interesting. She said, Donald Trump doesn't appear to be trying to win these court cases. He, he doesn't appear to have any kind of response to them. It, his whole thing, he's throwing, the, he's throwing the dice that he's going to become president or maybe some other Republican, and he'll get pardoned or pardoned himself. That's, well, it, yes, exactly. I mean, there's, there's no doubt of that at this point. And, um, and you notice there was a flourish a couple of weeks ago of uh, the candidates, the other candidates being asked if they would pardon Trump. And, you know, basically they didn't rule it out, right? Because I think that, that the overall strategy here is pretty clear, and that is that um, Trump knows that going into a courtroom is not going to be good for him. And I don't think he wants to go into a courtroom before the election. There's some people who think, oh, yeah. He'd like the drama of a trial. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, no, I think that the drama of a trial, especially one run by Jack Smith, would be, you know, it would be fast and effective and devastating. And so what I think he wants is the threat of a trial. And the question really now, Sly, is whether these judges blink. And I don't mean judges that are necessarily friendly to Trump or unfriendly to Trump, whatever. It doesn't matter. But if members of the judiciary blink, and delay trials and just say, oh, well, you know, uh, Trump's filed for a motion to, you know, delay for another six months or something like that. I think you're going to see these judges who are scared of, you know, kind of being in the midst of, of an election. They themselves are a little uncertain about wanting to be in such a situation. I think you're going to see them delay trials. And so it really becomes this fundamental question of what, if any, trial of Donald Trump will actually play out during the 2024 Well, I think there's going to be at least two or three. I think it could be. And I think, and I don't think Fonnie Willis in Atlanta is scared of Donald Trump either. No, I don't think it's the prosecutors. Here's what I think, though. It's judges. And, you know, judges are the most political members of the the entire U.S., you know, structure, right? Judges, Judges live and breathe politics in a way that senators and house members could only imagine um and so well now that's a bit of a blanket statement yep and i'll hold to it to the end of time um and you know that this is just reality i've been around judges a lot i've seen them they're they're into politics they they pay attention to it it's you and it's a very rare judge very very unique very rare judge that is really above politics that doesn't get you know whipsawed by you know public sentiments and things like that and so what we're looking for now, frankly, is that rare judge. 
And that judge could be in New York or could be in, in Atlanta. It could be, you know, someplace we don't expect. But Well, um, we, we'll, we'll, we will need an air traffic controller to actually put all these uh, cases in yeah. some sort of order that all the trials can fit in. That's going to be a huge task. John Nichols with us from the Capital Times at SlyceOffice.com. We're back at SlyceOffice.com. Uh, I briefly want to touch on the whole fake electors and what's going on here in the upper Midwest. Uh, Dana Nessel, the attorney general of Michigan, has filed charges against them. So far, Josh, call us not. This is from Channel 12 in Milwaukee uh, yesterday. Welcome back. As we just talked about, Wisconsin's false Republican electors back in the spotlight this weekend after Michigan took the first step this past week, charging 16 of that state's Republican electors with felonies. This plan to reject the will of the voters and undermine democracy was fraudulent and legally baseless. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel announcing felony charges against 16 Michigan Republicans, the first state to do so this past week, accusing them of a criminal conspiracy to award Michigan's electoral votes to Donald Trump in a state Joe Biden won. Dana Nessel is a thug. A move Republicans immediately decried. This is a witch hunt designed to prosecute and punish citizens who are duly elected to perform major function in presidential elections. Republican electors in Wisconsin did the same, meeting privately inside the state capitol, submitting paperwork claiming Trump won the state. In response to Michigan's actions, Attorney General Josh Call again saying he can't confirm or deny any state investigation into Wisconsin's 12 electors. He previously told up front he would await the federal probe. So to the extent that people committed crimes, in order to try to subvert the results uh, of, a, of an election. Those folks need to be held accountable, and I'm very supportive of efforts uh, to ensure that accountability happens. Mark Jefferson, executive director of the state GOP, telling our editorial partner, WISPolitics.com, Wisconsin's Republican electors met in accordance with state statutory guidelines, adding, it is our understanding that had the courts come to a different conclusion, a meeting would have had to have taken place in order for Wisconsin's electoral votes to have counted. Have you talked with Attorney General Call, or would you like him to launch an investigation in the state as well? Well, I think there's enough things going on in Donald Trump's world, and I think that we're... We went so far backwards that we were going to overthrow um, uh, an election. It's just extraordinary. Whether Josh Call should, should, I know he's been relying on our federal partners, and I think that's probably a wise, wise choice. Thoughts, John Nichols? Well, a lot of thoughts. Um, I loved, by the way, just early on, those comments from the Michigan Republicans. Weren't those classic? Yeah, I said, uh, Dana Nichols a thug. It was kind of like a thug is saying your son. Mm. But, uh, and, and uh, you know, this is a witch hunt against duly elected. Uh, how is how are they duly elected? <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, I love the fact that the Michigan State Patrol wouldn't let him in the building. Yeah, <laughs> they, well, they, the whole thing, the whole thing in Michigan, the, the Michigan Republican Party is, by the way, and I know this may unsettle some folks. Um, it's more extreme than the Wisconsin Republican Party by by a mile. Um, and, uh, and so I think that for a variety of reasons, Nestle has a very strong case here. And the, frankly, the responses to her prosecution, uh, announcement make the case even stronger. But I'll note before talking about Wisconsin on the elector side, one other subtlety, I believe 
that Ron Johnson is a part of this mix. Well, that was next on my list. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't he being asked to deliver not just the Wisconsin fake electors, but also the Michigan fake electors? Oh, I didn't and know that. Oh, I didn't know that it was Michigan I, as well. I think there was more than one state in play there, and uh, it'd be worthy of taking a look. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to unfairly uh, cast shadow on Ron Johnson, but um, I, I think that, that this could all get even more interesting as it goes on. Well, that makes sense, because if you're literally trying to stop President-elect Biden from getting enough electoral votes, you'd have to knock more than one state out. So why just give them Wisconsin? That if you're going to have somebody do your dirty work, have them throw in a couple more states. Yeah, and I think with Johnson, there was more than one state uh, when, when he was uh, um, being asked to deliver. Well, the- his, his changing timeline and his answers on this, I have to believe that he's part of this investigation, that they're looking at what he did. Yeah, well, that's that's where it gets interesting. And so, um, you know, you've got the the this Michigan thing now coming in place. And what's happening in Wisconsin? Yeah, you know, I understand what what Josh Call is saying. You know, look, it's, this is this is something that he's probably willing to do, but not overly excited to do. Well, Republicans uh, do have a supermajority in the state Senate. You know, they could impeach him. I, I know they could that. remove him. Yeah, I don't think. I think. Frankly, if they tried that, that'd be one of the best things that ever happened to Josh Cole. Oh well, I uh, agree, but it, it, he is—he is averse to confrontation. All right, that's just yeah. not his—he—he is—he does not have the same style as Mother does. He's a good attorney general, uh, but he does not—he is—he definitely is uh, not crazy about confrontation like that. I will say that, although I'll say that you know there have been several times during his tenure where he has stepped up and said exactly the right thing no, rather bold I ag- and so I agree I think I think he's an interesting guy and and I would not suggest that he won't ultimately do this I think he is very much a uh, you know he's a guy who has a lot of experience in prosecution in federal prosecution and and I think he's kind of sincere in what he's saying but there's going to be some frustration because I think this Michigan trial will highlight a lot of issues that, that relate to the Wisconsin mess. And the Wisconsin mess becomes interesting in another level, too, because it's that question of who let them into the Capitol, right? And, you know, who who made sure they could have that space to meet. Wasn't it Popcorn is, Man? Yeah, I think it gets you into uh, more highly powerful and high-profile figures, if I might Well, say. Scott but, Fitzgerald uh, was still the majority leader of the state Senate at that moment. Now a member of Congress is that? Uh huh. I I do believe he is. I do believe he is involved at the periphery. So is Tom Tiffany. So I think there's you know. So that's what I mean. This becomes the the Michigan one is really about the people who were the fake electors and, and any interaction they may have had with other figures. The Wisconsin one becomes potentially interesting on a whole bunch of other levels because of not the the fake electors themselves. Many of whom, by the way, or some of them at least, have cooperated with prosecutors or with the, the um, January 6th committee, um, but the, the kind of periphery of that and the other folks who, who got woven into it. And on that note, might I, I just wanted to check this to be sure. Luckily, I have the wonders of the Internet with me here. Um, as regards Ron Johnson, uh, quoting from political here, political, uh, a top aide to Ron Johnson attempted to arrange a handoff of false pro-Trump electors from the senator to Mike Pence. 
just minutes before the then-Vice President began to count electoral votes on January 6, 2021. The aide, Sean Riley, told Pence's legislative director, Chris Hodgson, uh, that Johnson wanted to hand Pence lists of the fake electors from Michigan and Wisconsin. So, but he didn't know. But he didn't know what they were. That's what he said initially. He didn't know what they were. You know. Well, he also didn't. He was also. It was only a few minutes, or maybe <laughs> a few hours, or a few days, or you know. I mean, it was a, the timeline got very, very complicated. But um, what we do know is that you know Johnson's aide was talking to Trump's aide about arranging a situation where. To Pence's aid about arranging a situation where Johnson would, on the floor of the Capitol, uh, deliver lists from Michigan and Wisconsin to Pence. And it was quite clear that that was to introduce them during the counting of electoral votes, right? So, I mean, it's pretty clear what was going on here. And the Pence aid knew exactly what was going on and said, you know, do not give that to him, right? They were, the Pence people shut it down. There's no evidence that the Ron Johnson people did anything to shut down a, an attempt to move fake electors from, again, Wisconsin and Michigan. And whether Josh Call prosecutes or not, um, uh, this Michigan case, I think, could well, um, you know, you, you could well touch on Ron Johnson. All right. So Vice President Harris uh, played a very important role last week. Here's what she had to say about the Florida education curriculum. And speaking of our children, extremists pass book bans to prevent them from learning our true history. Book bans in this year of our Lord 2023. And while they do this, check it out. They push forward revisionist history. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. And here is Ron DeSantis's response. The new education standards. Take a listen. Well, you should talk to them about it. I mean, I didn't do it and I wasn't involved in it. Um, but I think um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. Um, but the reality is all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. They listed everything out. And if you have any questions about it, just ask the Department of Education. You can talk about those folks. But, I mean, these were scholars who put that together. It was not anything that was, um, that was done politically. I'd love to know what his definition of a scholar is. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I read a book about this, I think, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, no, it's, look, I mean, this, A, I begin with the, the basics here. That was about as good as I've heard Kamala Harris. She was spot on. I think it's great that they're letting her showcase this and go after him. And I think it's in her heart, and I think it's in her soul, and I think she's good at this. And um, and I think it's it's if you listen to that exchange there, if you think of it as an exchange between Kamala Harris and and, uh, DeSantis, uh, 
DeSantis didn't come out very well there. I mean, DeSantis seemed to be sort of a, a stumbling, bumbling bureaucrat trying to make excuses, but not rejecting uh, the basic premise that had been put in play, which is that there are those running around suggesting that somehow slavery was good for the people who were enslaved. And the, the fact is, that was never the case. Nobody in their right mind would accept that as the case. Um, and it's something that, that I think, I don't know what percentage of Americans you'd get on your side in this discussion. Yeah, because Strom Thurmond died, so you don't, you don't have him anymore. There's one there. Yeah. And, and, uh, George you know, Wallace is dead. Yeah, actually, I don't Wallace, even. Wallace, actually, at the time of his death, George Wallace wouldn't even have agreed with that. So he wouldn't have. No. He wouldn't have been there. And, no. And, uh, it's it's true that in you know Mississippi's legislature, you might find a couple of folks. But um, the the truth of the matter is, this is a this is a example of the extremes to which um, Ron DeSantis goes in in. And he and people around him go in, frankly, playing the race card, doing dog whistle politics. And then they definitely have played this before in Florida. This is not the, the first time where DeSantis has been caught out in something like this. But it's really ugly. And uh, frankly, it's I don't think there's any other way to say it. I think it's a huge mobilizing issue for, um, you know, obviously people in the black community, but also I think for young people who um, I think have learned a, a truer history, uh, and then for a lot of people, just a good conscience, right? And so at the end of the day, uh, I think that this is another example of where DeSantis is so off track, right, that he's actually making himself look in the eyes of a lot of people worse than Trump, which is kind of amazing. If I were the Democrats, I wouldn't take Florida off the table for 2024. No, no, I, I think Florida is, you know, look, one thing to remember is that Florida is always on the table. Uh, you know, even when the Republicans win it uh, in the presidential level, they don't win it by overwhelming margins. And so it, it's a big state with a lot of voters. There clearly is mobilization that has to be done. And um, if DeSantis was the nominee, I think there's a very good chance that, that uh, Florida is lost by the Republicans for a variety of reasons. Um, but if Trump is the nominee, I think you have a similar circumstance. And so um, I think that, again, if DeSantis was running as a good manager who knew how to, how to handle things, um, you know, he'd be boring, but, but might be an appealing alternative. He'd be like Glenn Youngkin, right? And I'm not saying Glenn Youngkin doesn't stir up trouble now and again, but by and large, Yonkin tries to present himself as a managerial figure. Um, and ultimately, if the Republican Party's got to find a replacement to Trump, that's, that's the logical way to go. Um, but, things aren't log but things aren't logical with the Republican <laughs> base. L let me just, yeah. as we finish up here, you know, some important things happened this week. What's going on at the border in Texas with those buoys and the terrible treatment of people trying to flee violence in Central America. But then we have the, the case of Alabama where literally Kay Ivey and the legislature there are defying a Supreme Court order uh, on redrawing the maps. This Republicans trying to harness the power of white lash. How potent do you think it still is? And is it enough to give them power 
one more time. Nationally? Yes. Or in the state? Yes. Um, I don't think so. No. I, I think there's a generational shift going on that, that is, is going against them on that. Uh, and I know that these are intersecting issues. They're not, it's not the same issues. But I think that the move toward extremism on issues of race by the Republicans um, and the issue of abortion rights, when you combine that, that's a very powerful mobilizer for young voters um, and young voters of all races and all backgrounds. And as you know well, when young voters get excited and when they come out in, in substantial numbers, that's incredibly good news for the Democrats. So I think, especially if you look at the battleground states that we're going to be talking about here, and, and I think Wisconsin is less and less of a battleground state, more and more of a state that's likely that Biden wins. I think that's true of Michigan as well. Pennsylvania is slightly more complex, but probably the same. So you're really talking about Georgia and uh, Nevada and Arizona and all those places. If you get a bump youth turnout, I think, uh, you know, that's pretty good for the Democrats. Well, and, and, and we, we should never forget North Carolina. You know, it's been on the bubble for a long time. There's a lot of young people that live in North Carolina. Oh, in the tech industries and other things, especially. I, there's, there's no doubt of that. And so I'll just leave you with this one last thing. I think, and I, I mean, you got to be very careful in saying this, I think that 2024 looks like a pretty good year for Joe Biden, especially as some of the things going on in the economy at this point. Um, uh, the bigger issue is going to be the Senate races. And when you talk about this white lash, um, you know, or, or whatever phrase you're going to use to describe it, um, you know, in the Senate races, that could become more of a factor because you're talking about trying to hold Democratic Senate seats in um, in some states where, uh, you know, it's your electorate is not exactly woke. Um, and so uh, that's, I think, going to become a bigger factor. And so you mentioned you know, Alabama. I'm looking this fall at the Mississippi governor's race, where I think uh, Brandon Presley is a very viable Democratic candidate who's been, you know, quite strong in reaching out to the black community and accepting and embracing endorsements from prominent African-Americans and, and that. And um, it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, Tate Reeves, the Republican governor in Mississippi, does to try and save uh, his career and how ugly that race gets. But I think that's where you it's more in the states where you're going to see uh, some examples of what we're talking about here with, you know, efforts to stir a backlash. John Nichols from the Capital Times and The Nation. Thanks for coming to Sly's office. Pleasure to be with you, sir. Sly's dot com. Thanks a million. Bye bye.